I, I'm so excited about this season we're in right now. Not only Ontario launching today in the locations, Pastor Ethan Mount Vernon, they moved to the school uh, last weekend, new location, new time, and uh, their attendance was amazing. I'm excited about all of those things, but this time of year, uh, just it, it, there's something about Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, Good Friday, there's just something that just wells up in our heart. I know every day is Easter when it comes to just worship and appreciation, but there's something about when we specifically remember uh, what Christ has done for us. And I love this time of year. I, I love what I'm going to share today. Uh, I love our special Good Friday service coming up. It'll just be one night only, uh, and it's, it's going to be amazing what Pastor Kristen and the team is preparing. Uh, I'm excited about Good Friday. And then Easter next week, Thursday, Saturday, our Sunday gatherings. Uh, it's the number one attended weekend uh, of the year nationally. And so Easter is, is a weekend where people come that wouldn't normally come. So I'm asking you to invite. There's people you know I don't know. And I want to say thank you to everyone that has, has taken a yard sign, that's sharing a social media post, that took some touch cards. You, you'd be amazed at just the text, the phone call, that there, there could be someone in your world that feels like their life is too far gone and if you invite them, they could sit by you next week and they could be the one that would raise a hand and accept Christ and it would be worth it all for one person. One person shoots a hand up in the air, it's worth it. And so I want to do, I want to do, something, I want to do something that I did on Thursday night and that is, uh, it takes a little bit of boldness, but if you're a parent and you have a wayward child, a son, a daughter, you have a wayward child and you would say, I would love for my child to be closer to Christ. I would love for you just to stand right now. Uh, it takes a little bit of boldness and courage to do it. Thank you. Like for my child, I, I, story side, I just want you to look around and see all these amazing parents standing in the room. Uh, the other question I want to ask is if you have a spouse that you would love for God to do something special in their life. Uh, if you have a husband or a wife, just stand. If you have a spouse that you would like God to either save them or renew them, restore them, refresh them. We haven't even worked our way to friends and coworkers yet. Look around the room. This is just immediate family. I want you to stretch your hand toward them. Easter is a great time for God to work miracles. Not only did the Son of God come out of a tomb, but over the years on Easter, I've seen sons and daughters and spouses come out of bondage, come out of addictions, come out of depression, come out of discouragement. It can happen again in 2019. Storyside, would you pray for those standing as if it was your child? Would you pray for them right now as if it was your husband or wife to stretch a hand toward them? Let's pray for their family right now. God, I thank you for every person standing. I thank you even for those that are seated that wanted to stand. I thank you that you're going to touch family members, that you're going to touch friends and coworkers over this Easter season. I thank you for saving people. I thank you that these individuals that are praying right now, that they would know they're not alone. Sometimes people can feel like they're all alone. I'm the only one praying for my dad. I'm the only one praying for my mom. I'm, that's not true. We are together, and we pray for our families, and we pray for those that are in our world of influence. I pray that your love and grace would find them. There is no one. There is no one that is too far for the arm of the Lord to reach. And this is the house of prayer. And we believe in prayer. 
And we ask you, God, to get in the equation and throw your weight around. Do what only you can do. And we pray these prayers, both in the room and even those joining us online. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for being part, for being bold in that prayer. We're praying for the 250-ish churches in our region. Uh, we believe there's about another 100-ish that, that are surrounding our Mount Vernon and Bucyrus locations from what we have been able to research and find and praying for all of those gatherings, whether they're meeting in a home or a hotel, uh, some that have their own buildings, uh, whether they're a young church or, or an older church, just praying that God will do some amazing things in our region over Easter, uh, that when people come and gather in those settings, that the Holy Spirit of God's going to show up, and uh, God is going to do some amazing things over this time. I was at a service just this week, and in the middle of service, in the middle of service, my wife started texting me. Uh, now, I know some people have like different lists that you're going to respond to. Like, I would respond to these people. These people are going to have to wait till I get out of God's presence. Uh, but just a show of hands, how many of you have ever got a text in church and you've had to like, like sort of zone out and start responding back texting? Come on, hands raised. Tell the truth, Shane. A few people was like this, like, uh, you're not calling me out. Um, just kidding. So I'm texting Angel and she starts telling me, uh, babe, I think a, a pipe has busted in, in uh, the upstairs and water is going everywhere and you know, I'm turning it off. I don't know what's going on if something's plugged. And so I'm messaging back like, are you sure it's not Ellie, my youngest daughter? I have four kids. My youngest daughter, she loves to go straight from the shower just out on the floor and just like... I'm just going to like drip dry kind of, I'm like, are you sure it's not, I'm going over my list. And she's like, no, it's more than that. And so as all of this is taking place, probably over five or 10 minutes back and forth, uh, the message is wrapping up. Uh, and so I, I really missed the last point or two, not even really sure. Some of you are like, that happens to me every week. <laughs> uh, just kidding. But I, I really am zoning out. I missed the last couple points of the message. And so as I like try to engage back in what's being said, I hear them say, stand all over the room, raise your hand. And so I stand up and I raise my hand uh, just because I'm trying to get back into the service. As I'm standing up and raising my hand, I'm realizing not everyone around me is standing up and raising their hand. And there's a lot of people in the room. Uh, and I hear the pastor begin to pray for all those that had the courage to stand, that your life is sidetracked by sin, that you have got. And it is honestly in one of those moments where you're like, I'm too far in this now. <laughs> like, I can't, you know, I can't back down now. So I just like embraced it and like soaked in the prayer. So I stand before you today saved. Uh, I would. Uh, I am saved. I will get a following Jesus book today as I am exiting the building. Um, I heard this story about the old preacher who was dying, and he sent a message for a politician and his attorney, two, two individuals that actually went to his church, and he asked them to come to his home. And when they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom. As they entered the room, the old preacher held out his hands and he motioned for them to sit on either side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contently, smiled, stared at the ceiling. And for a time, 
No one said anything. Both the politician and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moments here uh, on this planet. They were also puzzled. Uh, The preacher had never really given them any indication that he particularly favored either one of them. They both sat there remembering his many long, uncomfortable sermons and how they had squirmed uh, in their seats. And finally, the politician said, Preacher, uh, why did you ask us? Why did you ask us to come and to be part of your final moments? The old preacher mustered up his strength and then said weakly, Well, Jesus died between two thieves. <laughs> That's not funny. Today, I want to talk to you about the two thieves that died on either side of the cross of Christ. We, we're talking in our Easter series on crossed. Everyone say crossed. Last weekend, we looked at the Easter story from the perspective of Pilate and Pilate's pressure points, that there's times in our lives that we've done things that we knew better, but thank God he died for people that, that even done things when they knew better. Today, we want to look at the two thieves, and I'm already excited trying to not get my mind ahead of myself for our Easter message uh, and what God is going to speak to us over Easter. Today with the two thieves, I I want to give you a portion apart from each gospel. So the gospels, as I have mentioned, are the first four books of the New Testament. If you're not really familiar with the Bible, you have an Old Testament, 39 books. You have a New Testament that is 27 books. The first four books of the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call it the Gospels or the Good News of Jesus Christ. Those four books are written uh, by four individuals from their angle, their perspective of what they saw happen in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew, uh, which is the first book of the New Testament, says in chapter 26, verse 55, at that same moment, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against the thief to take me with swords and clubs? Daily I sat with you in the temple teaching, you did not seize me. I read that verse today because I want you to see basically the, the public understanding of the protocol that would take place for a thief. So when you read that, uh, we're not necessarily thinking 2019, you know, be, being careful, being guarded, cameras running, making sure politically correct and, and things are, are done step by step. I want you just to back up to their culture and time and understand that Jesus himself is saying that if a thief is apprehended, it would be with swords and clubs. And so we, we see how they would be taken. We see how they would be treated. If you were to ask yourself how many crucifixions, so you see these three crosses on the stage today, how many crucifixions do they believe would have taken place in that particular time in history? Uh, the answer by most would be thousands. So we're not dealing with a few people being crucified. There's a lot of crucifixions that would have taken place in that time. Tertullian, uh, he would, in his writings, he would mention that people would be crucified on trees. And so very rough, very ragged, he would believe it was trees. Seneca, uh, in his writings, he would use the words in Felix Lingnum, Uh, which means, and I'm drawn to this definition, it means unfortunate wood. Unfortunate wood, that people would be crucified on unfortunate wood, that 
wood could have been used to build this particular building or wood could be used for this project. But then when the wood that someone is going to hang on uh, and bleed and die, they would call that unfortunate wood. By definition, it means damning, deplorable, destructive, disastrous, catastrophic, regrettable. I think, I think the, the name unfortunate wood is very fitting uh, for someone that would have their life so erect, so, so messy, that you would have to nail someone on, on that piece of wood, that tree. I think it's very fitting to say that's very unfortunate that someone would, would wreck their life so bad that they would end up on, on a cross. The Gospels are going to update us on these two thieves, and uh, as, as the crucifixion unfolds, they're going to tell us what they observed of these two guys on either side of Christ. Matthew, this first book in the Bible, says in verse 44 of chapter 27, even the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus began to taunt him, hurling their, pluralistic, their insults on him. Matthew never takes us beyond the point of telling us that the two thieves were both part of ridiculing and rejecting Christ. That's as far as he takes us. The book of Mark, chapter 15, verse 32, this is the second book in the New Testament, the second gospel. He says, let the Messiah, the King of Israel, pull out the nails and come down from the cross right now. We'll believe it when we see it. Even the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus began to taunt him, hurling insults on him. And so Mark stops at this particular point. Mark only tells us that, again, the two of them, thieves on either side of Christ, were part of the name-calling, the insulting, the challenging. John chapter uh, 19, the book of John, the gospel of John, John is going to give us some similar details, but he as well is not going to tell us what I'm going to read to you from Luke 23. It's only the gospel of Luke that tells us this particular part of the story. Up to this point, uh, the gospel writers are implying or insinuating that these two thieves are a part of the insulting, part of the ridicule, part of the rejection. Luke 23 tells us some added details. Verse 33 when they came to the place that is known as the skull, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center cross between, everyone say between, between the two criminals. One of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from this death. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, don't you fear God, you're about to die. We deserve we deserve, we deserve to be condemned for we're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. And Jesus responded, I promise you. Thank God for Jesus. I promise you this very day you will enter paradise with me. 
When we look at these four accounts in the Gospels of the two thieves, we see them referred to as thieves, criminals, evildoers. And I would notice right off, just based on the years of pastoring and leading, that our identity is often based off of our life's actions. I want you to think about that for a moment. Our identity is often based off of our life's actions. People could know some of you parents that stood today. People could know you as the parent of. People will often say, oh, you're Jalen's dad. Oh, you're Brooklyn's dad. Actually, I'm Micah. I get it. But you become known. Oh, you're Brooklyn's dad. You're Jalen's dad. You begin known uh, to be known by family or occupation. Well, that, that's, that's the chiropractor or that's the financial guy or, or that's, that's the one guy that's always out working for the village. That's the one. And, and so you become known even by your occupation. You become known a lot of times by associations. That's, that's the girl, uh, she's always with, uh, and so you become known by your associations. One of the worst things that could happen, and it's, it's proof in these passages, is when you have had some mistakes in your life, when you have done some really embarrassing things, people will begin to identify you by your past, or they will begin to identify you by your actions. We, we have no idea the names of these two guys. No one says, so we know Jesus, you know, he has an amazing name. All power in heaven and in earth is given to his name. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we could be saved. The cross in the middle, we know his name, thankfully. The, the two guys on the side, we don't know their names. They're just called thieves, criminals, evildoers. We don't know, we don't know if their name is Chance. We don't know if their name is Rick. We just know that they've done enough bad things that we are going to reference them on their action or what they have done wrong. We also know, based on the Bible and the Gospels, that it doesn't seem that there are any support systems for these two guys. So Jesus has a support system, although many have abandoned him and left him out of fear. We, we still have the mother of Jesus Christ. We have uh, his mother's sister is there. We have John. John is still there at the cross, the Bible tells us. Uh, Mary Magdalene is there. Different gospels are telling us the people who came to support the guy in the middle. But none of them are going to tell us that anyone showed up for the two guys on the side. That really doesn't surprise me because in my years of pastoring, I have met a lot of families, a lot of individuals that got to the point where they were like, I'm not messing around with my fill in the blank, my child anymore, my brother anymore, my uncle anymore, not messing around with them anymore. I've had several different instances just pastoring here. Our, our church is 16 years old, uh, and I've had several instances here where People have, like sons, have stole wedding rings from their mother to, to sell them at pawn shops and garner some extra monies for addictions and habits. And, 
and things as meaningful as like a wedding band. They've taken those things because addiction can be so powerful that they really don't care who they're stealing from or what they're taking. That's one instance of many where I have met people that just said, I can't do it anymore, Pastor Mike. I, I can't be friends with them anymore. I, they constantly break trust. They, they, they constantly, they promise, they break the promise. They're in, they're out. I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I can sort of see how these thieves, these criminals that would do so much to become worthy of hanging on an unfortunate piece of wood, that, that no one's coming for this. You know when you have a child and you dream of what they could be one day? And, and you're thinking, I wonder if they're going to be a carpenter. I wonder if they're going to be a builder. I wonder if they're going to be a, a leader. I wonder if they're... And, the, and these two guys end up so wayward. I'm sure family never dreamed that these guys would end up like this. And, and we're not told in any of the Gospels that they had a support system. Let me press pause on these two stories. And just ask you today, in the room and online, have you ever felt alienated, severed from someone, disassociated, estranged? It's not a good feeling when people won't talk to you or won't return a message to you or, or you feel like you didn't really, and, and all of a sudden it's separated. Whether, whether or not you're at fault or you, or you feel you're not at fault, there's something that comes with those types of emotions. I would say that I think these two guys have been crossed off. That's what we're talking about today is crossed. I, not only are they on a cross, I think they've been crossed off. Have you ever had people that crossed you off? And crossed you off? Just this week, I had several stories told to me of people that come here and your entire family will not converse with you anymore simply because you come to StorySide just this week, as recent as yesterday, that, that because you attend StorySide, your family says, well, we can't talk with you or communicate with you. If you're going to go there, then we're done with you. It's not a good feeling when someone starts to cross you off. When someone starts to say, well, God can't do anything in your life, you're divorced, or God is done with you because five years ago or 10 years ago, this is a very extreme story, but there's a lot of emotions that come with someone who feels like they have been crossed off. It's in this part of the story. It's not a few minutes. This is hours, Kim. These guys are going to be part of this situation for hours. The Bible is going to give us timelines at this hour and then at this hour and three hours later. It's, it's a long time. It's what I would call a cross-examination. This thief also says, we're about to die. You read that with me. We're about to die. I think when you're about to die, you start thinking different things. When you, if you've ever had that moment, I know with my carcinoid tumor and even some different you know, accidents or things along the way, if you've, if you've ever had a close-to-death experience, a doctor's report, a heart attack, if you've ever had something, it can begin to get you to think differently about marriage, about parenting, about your soul, your, you know, eternity. This guy, it's, again, it's over hours, and 
Matthew doesn't tell us, Mark doesn't tell us, John doesn't tell us, but somewhere in this cross-examination, this guy starts really having a soul-searching kind of moment. And he's going to make a choice. Life is determined by the choices we make. If we were to back up into that Old Testament that I talked about, those 39 books, there is a principle that is used by one spiritual leader that still rings true, I believe, in 2019. His name is Joshua, and he says in chapter 24, verse 15 of his writings, you must choose for yourselves. But as for me and my family or house, we will serve the Lord. You must choose for yourself that there comes a time, a cross-examination kind of moment where it's not about the crowd. It's not even about you and the other guy who done bad things. You actually must choose for yourself. You received a small token cross as you were coming in today. And you see these three much larger crosses on the stage which symbolize Christ and these two unnamed guys. But for all of us, we must realize that we will spend eternity on one side of the cross. You will either spend eternity on the side of the cross where the guy ridiculed and rejected and hurled insults, or you will spend eternity on the other side, on this cross, where you realize, I need a savior, and I need help, and I need forgiveness, because what I've done with my life is no good, but you're good, and we will all. There is no gray area. There's no middle ground. In eternity, Ecclesiastes says the tree is going to fall this way or this way. It's one or the other. It's probably the most black and white type of dialogue we will see in the Bible. We will spend eternity on one side or the other side of the cross. The cross will call for a choice. The cross will demand a decision. You, you say, I, I don't want to have this conversation. That's your choice. I don't want to talk about it, Micah. That's your choice. I don't have time to listen to all of that, Jesus. That's your choice. But it will either be a yes or a no. Craig Rochelle says this, choose wisely. The decisions you make today, both big and small, determine the direction your life will take tomorrow. How true with this guy. Choose wisely. I know you're hurling insults. I know the crowd is celebrating the crucifixion. I know your buddy, maybe your partner in crime, he's part of the ridicule. But choose wisely because the decisions that you're about to make right now will determine eternally your tomorrow. It's in this 
conversation that I believe that the thief shows us extreme transparency. Look at some of the things that are happening that we read together. He gives a guilty admission. You know, there's some people that will go to court and it doesn't matter if there was videotape and, you know, a complete list of witnesses. They could walk in and be like, not guilty. Right? Like there's some people who live their entire life and never want to accept any responsibility for what they've done. Not this guy. He begins to say things. There's no denial. There's no blame. He says in verse 41, we deserve the outcome. What did this guy do? What did this guy do to say, I deserve to hang, to be nailed on this unfortunate piece of wood? He says, I'm guilty. I deserve. We are here because. He justifies his own judgment. He says, I'm crossworthy. I'm consequence worthy because of what I've done. Repentance requires us to recognize our actions and our attitudes. These two criminals and thieves, be, they end up being crucified on either side of Christ. What are the chances? What are the chances that this guy gets to die? I know you probably don't read it like it's an opportunity, like Micah, how can you say it's an opportunity to be nailed on an unfortunate piece of wood to, to like be bleeding on this old tree? But, but I told you that most believe there was thousands of crucifixions. What are the chances? What's the opportunity that, that, that your name gets called on the same day that the Son of God? I mean, I feel, I feel the, the Holy Spirit even just saying it. What are the chances that you get to be crucified right beside Christ? Calvary, what you see today, these three crosses, Christ gets centered between two criminals. A good God ends up between bad men. I would put it this way, that mercy has a way of getting in the middle of the mess. I love just the picture of it. It's not like it's bad guy, bad guy, Jesus, I just like in my mind almost viewing it as mercy is just going to work its way into the middle of the mess because I've seen him do that over and over and over in my life where people have got themselves in really bad situations, bad with the law, bad relationally, bad spiritually, bad in their family. And just when you feel like there's no hope, when you feel like, whoa, this is the end of the road, and here comes mercy right in the middle to say, let me have something to say about this. Before you cross them off, let me say something. Let me pick up the pen. Let me write a good ending to a story. I've seen mercy get in the middle of a lot of messes. So we get ready to close today. This thief's pain and problems is past that gets positioned within earshot of Christ. Like if I was to move these crosses way out, if I was to take these two side crosses and push them at such a distance, that that's, that's, not, that's not how it was, Dr. Brad. Even in the pain and the agony, even in the torture, 
He's close enough to communicate with Christ. Do you know how many miracles are in the Bible? Like pages of them. Where people received a miracle, Bryce, because they got within earshot of Christ. They could say something and Jesus would hear them. We, we, just a few of them. We see in Luke 17, the lepers cried out. Mark 9, a dad cried out about his son. Luke 8, a man who they believe had 6,000 demons or devils. His name was Legion, and he cried out, and Christ heard him. Matthew 15, a mother cried out and prayed for her daughter. This thief initiates a crucial conversation. Everyone say crucial conversation. Our lives can turn around with a crucial conversation. It starts, which I think it does a lot of times for all of us, it starts, as I said earlier, pluralistic. It, it, it starts, just look at the progression, save us, we're here, we've done, we deserve. Sometimes it starts that way, like, Everyone in my family, my uncle does, my grandpa does, my dad does, everyone in our family does. Well, my mom's always been this way. Well, you know, this one guy I went to school with. And... But we all have to get to a point in our lives where it's not we and we're and we've. It's I. It's me. And it switches. Verse 42, he starts saying things like, I beg, show me grace, take me. It's as if in this hours and hours of cross-examination, if you would, that he hears Jesus talking to heaven. My God, my God. He hears him forgiving guys that are spitting on him, slapped him, a spear in his side. He hears him saying things like, forgive them. Father, Father, forgive them. I don't know if he's thinking like, how can you forgive these guys down here that are spitting and slapping and spears and nails and like, how, how are you, like maybe you could forgive me. You're forgiving them. I don't know where it happened, but I know he almost interrupts the conversation Christ is having with heaven to say, could you talk to heaven about me? Could, could you say something to him about me? Verse 42, show me grace. Verse 42 again, remember me. Now I know Matthew, Mark, and John missed all of this, so I'm, I'm thinking it's in the final few seconds, which again is a great reminder, Kyle, it's never too late. Those three gospels don't ever tell us, Cody. But Luke wants us to know, when you saw the criminals and thieves and evildoers and how bad it was, I just want you to know a miracle came out of that mess. Jesus, when this guy is feeling unworthy and out of options, Jesus begins talking to this guy. I mean, the weight of the world is on the line. The Bible says in Isaiah, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Dispensations are going to change. Veils are going to tear. There's so much going on. 
And yet Jesus presses pause on the big picture plan to talk to another guy who we believe probably couldn't even get a friend or family member to show up. Like if you want to talk about how much God loves you, that he would like stop everything, a service, he, he would put everything on pause to talk to you. And he tells this guy today, I hear you, I hear you, and it's never too late to change. And today, you'll be with me in paradise. God has a way of showing up when you feel forgotten. When you're in your own unfortunate kind of situation. He has a way of showing up then. Is there anyone that's thankful today for all of the times that he showed up in your life when it was unfortunate or you felt unworthy and maybe forgotten? What makes Christianity different? Becky, what makes Christianity different is that it is a story where the hero dies to save the villain. It's not going to make any movies for the most part. The hero always wins. But not in this scenario. With these three crosses, the good guy dies so the bad guy, you and I, the good guy dies so that the bad people that are born in sin can win, can be saved. I am so grateful that a spotless lamb, no sin, named Jesus, went on the cross in the middle. Mercy worked its way into the mess and said, I'm willing to die on a cross so that this thief, Micah, seven guys at a prison, Jose L and Jose and Jose, I was trying not to laugh. And you in the room and online and people that are going to show up on Easter weekend, he said, I'll work my way into the mess so that you can be saved. Are you thankful for salvation today? What I love about this story is that he doesn't just find the thief. You know, some people will criticize grace. I don't. I celebrate grace. And unapologetically, I celebrate grace. In Scripture, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace doesn't just save the guy on the cross and be like, I forgive you, man. I'm, you know, I, he says, actually, I'm going to take you somewhere. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He, he saves you. He takes you. But we all need grace first, for by grace are you saved through faith, right? Not, not of yourselves. Grace finds you, and then grace takes you somewhere. It'll help you grow. It'll help you change. He saves them, takes them, saves them, takes them. I'm glad he does that for us. I heard the true story. You'll see the picture on the screen. A true story that a young man was in a Texas hospital, diagnosed as brain dead, and his dad named George Pickering, took a gun, a gun, to the hospital in order to save and to stop the hospital staff from removing his son from life support. The majority of the family and others had deemed that it was best, even from a medical perspective, to remove his son from life support. 
His son had a history of health issues involving seizures. During this particular seizure, he had suffered a massive stroke. The hospital planned a terminal wean, the process that slowly would end, end his life. They had also notified, they also notified an organ do, uh, donation organization that they likely had an organ donor. Pickering admits that he began to drink that, that night. You know, I am a dad. I, I think the emotions that comes with the loss of a child, I, I can't even, some of you have been down that road. But in the middle of him drinking, he loads a gun, he heads back to the hospital, and he barricades the door. It's a true story. He barricades the door. The SWAT team's called, law enforcement's called, safety teams were called. When you look at the pictures, if you research or Google Tomball, you'll see the, the police cars and the lights and emergency vehicles lined up. Like it looks multiple blocks and squares. They're lined up and vest on and... George goes in the door, barricades it, and won't let anyone in. He remained at his son's bedside, and after three hours, the true story is that his son squeezed his hand. When George realized his son was not going to be weaned from life support, he surrendered to the police and let them enter the room. The son that you see in the picture, George Pickering III, says his father was protecting him and always will. From that night, one charge was dismissed. The other was reduced to a lesser offense. He was given credit for time served and released. And I realize my message today is about God. It's not necessarily George Pickering. But I wanted to share that story with you just to celebrate the fact and the times that other people would have given up on you and I. They'd have pulled the plug. And he said, there's no way God's going to use him. There's no way God's going to save this guy. There's no chance. But in his own way, God barricaded the door and said, not yet. I need you to give Amanda a little bit more time. I need you to give Noah a little bit more time. I need... In his own way, he barricaded the door and said, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'm not done with Junior. Just, just, just hold on. And I'm so grateful that when others can't see it, that God, our Heavenly Father, is able to see, I'm not finished. Some of you parents that stood earlier, I'm not done, I'm not done. Some of you that stood for your spouse, just, 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 just breathe. Just. Sometimes we see through the natural and we're ready to start pulling all of the plugs. But there's some people, their hands getting ready to like squeeze, they're, that there's a guy on a cross that in this last moment, three out of four Gospels miss it, but, but he's going to say, is it too late for me? Is it too late for me? When some people say it's over and done. It's too late. A lot of times, God still has another move. He still has another move, and this story reminds us of that. As we close our eyes today, if you're in the room or online and you feel like you've done too much or gone too far, can I tell you today, you're really not too far gone for Jesus. Maybe you've never been saved. You've never made the decision like this guy did to recognize, I, 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 I need, I need help. I need a savior. And if you want to do that for the very first time today, you can. 
it's the best decision this guy made. It'll be the best decision that you'll ever make in your life. If you're here today and you need Jesus Christ to save you, I just want you to slip up my hand and say, Pastor Micah, would you pray for me today? I need him to save me. Thank you. I need him to save me. Thank you, sir. Right over here, sir, again. I believe I saw three men raise their hands. Thank you. And right back here, thank you. Thank you right over here, sir. I believe I saw five hands. The Bible says if just one of you would have raised your hands, when someone repents, all of heaven rejoices. Heaven is so excited about your courage and boldness right now to make that decision. Right back here, sir, still with your hand raised. Actually, both hands. I believe God is noticing your prayer right now. It's not too late. It's not too far gone. And and another gentleman right over here. I don't know that I've ever seen, I think, six or seven consecutive men I don't know that I've ever seen that many men raising their hands in a row. I celebrate every one of you. I celebrate every one of you today. Can we pray this prayer together? I'm not sure how many have responded online, but join us online as well. Let's pray this prayer together. Can, as a whole, as a church, not just the six or seven, let's, let's all say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming into my life today. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I know I'm not good enough. Nobody is. But you are good. And I receive your grace and truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.